if you've never been to an Easter Sunday service, let me just explain what's getting ready to happen just for a second, okay? Because I don't want you to just sit here going, oh, like, what, what is this all about? So if, if you've never been to, to one of these before, typically what happens is someone like me gets up here and we tell you for 20 or 25 minutes um, that the resurrection of Jesus is true. And so what we do is we look at one of the gospel stories and we just kind of walk through it and we say, this is how it happened and this is, this is why it happened and this is what you can kind of expect. And, and I believe that's a really good approach. In fact, we've done that every year that we've, we've been a church family here at Ethos. So eight years in a row, um, that's exactly what we've done because this weekend is uh, what Christians consider the most significant weekend uh, in human history. Because Christians, this is what we believe, and it's going to sound crazy, but I just want to state it like very clearly, okay? So what Christians claim to believe is that 2,000 years ago, God came. He was born of a virgin. He walked this earth in the, the, the form of humanity named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He lived a sinless life, which means not only did he never do anything bad, it means he chose to do everything that was good. When he was around 33 years old, 2,000 years ago on this weekend, he was crucified on a Roman cross. And the Bible claims that that happens not because he lost control, not because he was out of power. It, it claims that this happened because God was getting what God wanted. And what God wanted was the ability to deal justly with all of humanity's sins while giving you the gift of never having to stand under his judgment. An amazing thing. Three days, Jesus was in the tomb, laying in a tomb that he did not own. And on the third day, Sunday morning, the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. For the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, documented cases, showing that he was not just there spiritually, he wasn't just there metaphorically, but that Christ had physically conquered death and raised from the grave. And then he ascended to heaven, he returned to heaven and today, that is what we claim to celebrate. Now, let's just call that what it is for just a second. That feels like insanity, doesn't it? I mean, that claim is huge. And it is so hard to get our minds around. And yet, that is the claim of Easter. And so, so often on Easter Sunday, what we do is we come in here and we go, okay, let's look at the story of how Jesus raised from the dead, and, and I'm going to try to prove it to you over the next 25 or 30 minutes. And this morning, I'm going to do something different. I don't want to talk to you about how Jesus raised from the dead, okay? Spoiler alert, I believe he raised from the dead, okay? I'm not going to talk to you about how he raised from the dead. I want to talk to you about why him raising from the dead will change your real life right here, right now. Like why it matters for ordinary people in Nashville, Tennessee that some guy in the Middle East 2,000 years ago conquered death, okay? And so I want to I talk about not just that the resurrection happened, I want to talk about what it is that the resurrection is changing. And in order for us to understand what the resurrection of Jesus is changing, we have to be brutally honest with ourselves about the nature of life. And over the last 10 years or so, I've become deeply convicted that one of the most powerful forces in the human experience is the power of fear. Like, have you ever noticed how fear can just totally change a human life? Like, fear is like a river that's running through a desert, just working its way through the landscape, and at first it doesn't seem like much. But over time, that river begins to create this canyon that seems almost insurmountable. 
And the fear has this way of working through the human heart and reshaping the landscape of our lives, even when we don't know it. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we believe. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we move into things and the way that we avoid other things. And fear is this inescapable reality for human beings. Welcome to Easter Sunday. On Thursday morning of this week, uh, I rolled over and looked at my wife. And I'd had this nightmare, it was a recurring nightmare that I have from time to time about my children. You know, we all have these fears, right? So for me, I'll just, I'll just put it out there, some of my deepest fears, is something's gonna happen to my kids. I have a fear that I, I, I will choose to do something sinful that will forfeit God's calling on my life. I have this fear that I'll lose the ability to provide for my kids. We all have fears, right? We could go around the room and every one of you could name the things that you fear the most. But I had this recurring dream and on Thursday morning, I woke up and I rolled over and I looked at Sydney and I said, I had that nightmare again about our kids. And I started to tell her and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. She said, hey, I don't need you to put your fears in my heart. I have enough of my own. <laughs> well, that's true. Like, like we all have these things, right, that, that grip us. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this. Because before we can embrace the unparalleled promises of Easter Sunday, we have to deal with the uncomfortable situation of the Easter story itself. And Easter reminds us that so many of our greatest fears as human beings will actually come true. Now, I know it's not probably what you expected to hear this morning. That the things you fear the most, many of those things will actually happen. The fear of being alone, there's a chance that'll happen in your life. The, the fear of losing your physical health, that'll happen in your life. The fear of losing someone you love, that will happen in your life. And Easter never one time promises the escape of the things that we fear. See, the world is always trying to teach us how to deal with fear. You know, some of you are predisposed. When you get scared, you get paralyzed, right? You don't know how to move in it. You just shut down. Maybe you're like me, and some of you aren't paralyzed by fear, but you just try to ignore it, and you think, if I just sweep it under the rug, it'll never come calling. Some of you try to control fear, right? You just manage the circumstance and manage the situation, and you get it all together. But Easter Sunday makes us deal with the things that we fear the most, and it reminds us that a part of the human experience is figuring out what we do with real fear. Because on Easter weekend 2,000 years ago, the worst things in the human experience, the things we all fear, happened to the greatest person who ever lived. That Jesus dealt with aloneness, that Jesus dealt with being misunderstood, that Jesus dealt with being physically broken and hurt. Like the, the, the greatest fears of the human experience were all cast upon Jesus, the greatest person that ever lived. And before we can deal with the unparalleled beauty of the Easter story, we have to name the uncomfortable truth. And that is that Easter reminds us that some of the things we fear will indeed come to fruition. But here's the beauty of the Easter story, and this is the reason I think it can change your life, is because the Bible claims that if you take the truth of the resurrected Lord all the way into your heart, that the Easter story won't get you around pain, and it won't purchase your freedom from pain, and it won't get you around fear, and it won't purchase your freedom from fear, it will make you immovable, unshakable, unconquerable in the midst of real pain and real fear. 
that the Easter story gives you something that is so rich and so provocative and so life-changing, like a river cutting its way through the depths of a canyon. It makes you immovable when the divorce goes through, when the cancer comes back, when the child rebels, when the story ends the way you thought it would never end. See, a lot of times on Easter Sunday, we gather in places like this, and we go, the tomb is empty, and life is great. But all of us are sitting here going, okay, the tomb is empty, and life sucks. Here's the deal. Easter never promised the immediate end to pain, suffering, and fear. That's the second coming's promise. Jesus says, when I come back, all those things are done for good. But Easter says, I will put something within you so immovable that you can handle all that life brings your way. And that's what I want us to wrestle with for just a few minutes. John chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 33. We're just going to look at one verse together uh, this morning. And I love this verse. But you have to understand the context of this verse. Jesus is just hours away from being crucified here. Just hours away from his death. He spent the last three years with these amazing men and women, and he's going to look at them at the end of a really difficult conversation, and he's going to make this profound statement in John chapter 16, verse 33. Listen to this. You can put these words up on the screen in case you don't have a Bible. This is what John 16, verse 33 says. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm gonna read that one more time. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you take notes, I want you to notice just three things in this one verse this morning. I want you to notice how Jesus is gonna diagnose the problem of life how he's going to offer them the promise of heaven and how he's going to give them the pathway to experiencing it right here and right now. Jesus is gonna diagnose the problem. He is going to present to them a promise and then he is going to so clearly illuminate the pathway for them to begin stepping into that promise right now because Jesus knew that the resurrection would not just give us a hope for our future death, that the resurrection of Jesus would give us a hope that would allow us to fully live right here and now. And so he starts by addressing the problem. Look back at verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things. Now go, what what are the things that Jesus has told them here in John chapter 16? Here's here's the cliff notes for you. Here's the backstory. Jesus is just hours away from his death in John chapter 13. He sits down at a dinner table with his closest friends. And he knows that this is the last meal he will eat with them before he dies. I, I just want you to imagine with me for a minute. If you knew that you had one meal left with your friends and family, just one more time to eat, like what would you talk to them about? And there's this this beautiful conversation that unfolds with Jesus and his disciples, a conversation that is marked by both reality and hope. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that was so bogged down in reality they were hopeless? Or have you ever been in the presence of someone that was so hopeless it seems like they weren't in touch with reality? See, the conversation in John chapter 13 through 16 is the picture of a man that is anchored in the depths of what's getting ready to happen to him and to his disciples, and yet he has not lost the hope of what's getting ready to come on Easter Sunday. 
And so he begins to talk to them, Jesus does, about the things that are going to happen to him. He says, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to crucify me, I will be dead for three days, all of you will abandon me. He says, but on Sunday morning I'm going to rise. And he begins to talk very plainly about what's going to happen to him. And then Jesus turns and he looks at his followers and he says, and let me tell you what's going to happen to you. And in some ways, John chapter 13 through 16 feels like the worst pep talk ever. I remember being in high school playing baseball, and we were on this travel team. And I remember our coach one day looking at us. We're getting ready to play this team from Miami. And he says, guys, I don't know how to break it to you. There's no chance you're going to win this game. <laughs> we're like, you're the worst coach ever. Like, just the, the, the worst sales pitch ever. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, I want to tell you what's getting ready to happen to you. And he goes on in John chapter 15 and 16, he says, he says your parents are going to turn against some of you. There's going to be family tension. There's going to be physical pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. These things are going to come your way. And in some ways, it feels as though Jesus is giving the worst pep talk ever. It's like, Jesus, don't you know how to build a better team than that? <laughs> like, Jesus, you need a new marketing firm. Jesus, you need to figure out how to put a spin on this. But Jesus looks at them, and it's what he's saying here in verse 33. He says, let me tell you about the problems you're getting ready to face. Look back at verse 33. He says, I've told you these things. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace, because in this world you will have trouble it's what he told them because he knew that their understanding of Jesus' view of the future would be one of the things that would give them the strength to endure the pain of their present. Jesus knew that some of them would be tempted to believe the lie that following Jesus means that all of life would be nice and easy. This was the message that some of you have been heard. It's the reason some of you have rejected church and Jesus, and it's the only reason you're here is once a year, because somewhere along the way, this is the version of Christianity that you heard. You heard, give your life to Jesus, and everything gets easier. And so you tried it, and what happened? Did your life get easier? No. For some of you, it didn't. And Jesus understands that in our hearts is this cosmic connection between our understanding of God's goodness and God's ability and our real life working out of the pain and fear and suffering that we're experiencing right here and right now. And Jesus was bold enough to name what they were getting ready to experience. He says, let me talk about the problem that you're all going to have with God. And he says, if you don't understand it, you'll never be able to stand in it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It's out of the lips of Jesus. That there will be times when the cancer comes back. There will be times when we bury our children. There will be times when the, the counseling doesn't work and the divorce goes through. There will be times when we will be uh, cosmically misunderstood and we'll lose the promotion. There will be times when our worst fears come calling and no amount of indifference and no amount of control can possibly escape the way that they're coming at us. And Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And he, he shows them the problem. But I love this. He doesn't just show them the problem. He begins to talk to them about this, this heavenly promise. And I want you to look back at this. He says, he says I've told you these things. So that you'd be depressed. Is that what he says? 
Hey, I've told you these things so that you'd be worried. No, he says, I've told you these things so that in me. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in myself, in my strength, in my ability, in my sufficiency, I've told you these things so that in me you will have, what's that next word? Peace. Say it with me. Peace. That you have peace. And we have to understand the word that Jesus is using here because the way the world uses this word peace and the way that Jesus speaks of the word peace are two entirely different things. See, the peace that the world offers is a peace that is completely dependent upon the circumstances you find yourself in, right? And so in order to be at peace, it means that your marriage is stable. In order to be at peace, it means that everyone in your family is healthy. In order to be at peace, it means that your job is going just the way that you want it to go. That's the world's definition of peace, that when your circumstances are stable, then in your heart you can have peace. Now, what's the problem with that kind of peace? Is that your circumstances are like a house of cards built on top of a sandcastle in the middle of a windstorm. That at any given point, one or all of those things can shake, right? That you can get the phone call. That you get the diagnosis. That any of those things that your worldly peace is tethered to begin to shake and the whole house of cards begins to collapse. But see, what you see in Jesus is, is a peace that's not anchored in the circumstance of the world. It's a peace that's a actually anchored in another world. It's a peace that's anchored in a, a distant world. I think about several years ago when a, a friend and mentor of mine who I just respect the fire out of he and his wife, they buried their eight-year-old daughter after a four-year battle with cancer. And I remember watching the funeral and listening to the first words out of his mouth when he stands up and he says, my daughter is in the casket. She will be in the tomb, but not forever because Jesus' tomb is empty. And he began to speak, and I thought, man, there is something inside of him that is currently not inside of me. That there is a level of peace that is, is tied to something more stable than what my heart is tied to currently. Have you ever been around somebody like that? So the disciples saw in Jesus over and over and over. He's rejected by his friends and family, and you see his peace in his eyes. He's in the middle of the storm in Mark chapter four and all the disciples think they're drowning and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the boat. There's, there's peace in his heart. Or think about that horrific moment 2,000 years ago where he's being crucified on a cross for the sins of humanity. And despite unthinkable pain and emotional rejection, he has the peace of heart to pray for the people that are offending him, that are killing him, that are hurting him. He was a man that was marked by peace. One of my favorite moments in all the Bible takes place just a few minutes before the verse that we just read in John chapter 14, verse 27, where Jesus and his disciples, they've just left the Last Supper and they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a 45-minute journey. They're walking down this moonlit path. It's a full moon uh, around Passover. There's a dirt path and cobblestone path, and these 12 disciples have just been shaken by the news that Jesus has said, this is what's coming to you. This is what's coming to your life. This is what's getting ready to happen to me. And Jesus, in that moment, John chapter 14, verse 27, he turns around and he looks at them and he says, the peace that I have is the peace that I'm getting ready to give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. 
And this is the way that I imagine that moment unfolding. Jesus says, listen, they're getting ready to kill me. I'm getting ready to face all of humanity's deepest fears. But I want you to look in my eyes because what you'll see in my eyes in this moment is not fear, but peace. And what's inside of me right now is available to you. That's the audacious claim of the resurrection story. That in Christ, there is this peace that goes so deep into the heart, it usurps all human fears and it makes you immovable when life gives you all that life has to give you. And Jesus says, here's the problem, here's the promise, and here's the path. Look at the end of verse 33. He says, in this world you're gonna have troubles. He says, but take heart. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, take heart, I I have victory in store. He says, in this world, life is going to give you everything it knows how to give you. He says, but take this truth into your heart the next time you're facing troubles. Take this truth into your heart the next time you're facing fears. Take this truth into your heart the next time you feel disappointed and down is that I have overcome everything that is trying to convince you that your life is over. Jesus says, take it all the way in. Bring the truth from your head into your heart, from a yearly celebration into a daily experience. Bring this truth all the way in. And what will begin to happen is what used to carve out your soul with fear will now begin to stable your soul in peace. That there's something more, there's something deeper, there's something untouchable in you that your circumstances can never undo. He says, take it to heart, I've overcome the world. I love the picture of the Gospels that you see over and over and over. You know, so often in the Bible, Jesus, spiritually speaking, uh, is referred to as our big brother in the faith. And the the Gospels is just this, this picture of Jesus, our big brother, going first, facing all of our fears as all of them collide on him in the cross. He keeps facing these things first, showing us what it looks like when you come out on the other side of the thing that you're dreading so deeply. I think about this in my family. Sydney and I, we have three boys. My oldest son, Micah, is six. Uh, My middle son, Jack, is four. My youngest son, Judah, is two. And one of the things that we talk about in our house is that in order to have three boys, you have to embrace both adventure and pain. Because those two things are the partners that came together to dance. I mean, there is adventure, there is excitement, there is joy, and on the other side of that coin, is fear and is pain and is a lot of visits to the hospital. I mean, that's just kind of the way that it rolls. And so every year, I kid you not, we, we joke around in our family that we meet our medical deductible by February. And so it just happens. Like three boys, they're crazy, they're always getting hurt. And so I'll just give you last year for an example, okay? This was last year, true story. I know a lot of you may not know me, uh, but these are true stories. Um, so last year, when our whole church was worshiping at the Ryman, you guys remember that night we're worshiping, people were being baptized, it was a crazy moment, it was awesome. My oldest son, Micah, right before that worship gathering started, he dove under the pew at the Ryman trying to chase one of his buddies. Um, so he's diving under the pew, they have those wooden floors, and a piece of the wooden floor broke off, went through his shirt, stabbed through his nipple, and embedded in his chest, Okay. So while you guys were worshiping, we were on the way to the hospital. Um, to, be, to be fair, my wife was on the way to the hospital taking Micah there. And so they had to put him under and surgically remove this nipple splinter. And so, um, and you can say that at Easter, you know, it's like, 
it is an $8,000 splinter. I mean, it was a really like, oh, that one hurt. Like, it really hurt. <laughs> a month later, we're playing in the creek, and my son Jack gets bitten by a snake. Yeah, real, a true snake. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not Crocodile Dundee. I don't know what kind of snake that is. Like, you know, that could be a cobra. I know they don't live in Tennessee, but who knows? And so I'm freaked out, so we take him to the hospital, and he's fine, he's alive, okay? And then about three weeks later, my youngest son, Judah, is running through our living room and trips and hits his face on the fireplace and splits his eye wide open. Literally, this is the first quarter of last year, and Sydney and I are like, we're done. We're done with life. So we go on family vacation, and we're sitting down in Florida, and I see this guy walk by, and I look by, and I'm like, man, I recognize that guy. I'm like, that's the doctor from the ER. He's on vacation too. And so I run up to him and I'm like, hey, are you in Nashville? He's like, yeah. And I said, my son's, the, and he goes, splinter in the nipple. I'm like, yes, yes. And snake bite, yes. And he said, thanks for paying for vacation. And I'm like, you're welcome. Would you buy me dinner? You know, and no. And it's just this, it's this hilarious interaction. We've seen this over and over and over. That pain and adventure dance together in the kingdom of God. That in order to have the adventure, you have to embrace the pain. That in order for us to celebrate the empty tomb, we have to embrace the reality that many of our tombs are still not yet empty. But Jesus, the big brother, shows us the way through the pain. One of the phrases that we hear around our family all the time, I heard it last night, I kid you not, is my oldest son will look at his younger brothers and I'll hear this phrase, hey, just watch me, I'll go first. And as soon as that happens, I, I, I get the insurance card and the keys, I just go sit in the car. <laughs> hey, you watch me, I'll go first. You watch me, I'll go first. And it's the big brother just getting on saying, hey, let me face everything that's paralyzing you. Let me face everything that you're ignoring and let me show you what comes on the other side. And Jesus says, I'll take it all. I'll take your aloneness. I'll take your death. I'll take your disappointment. I'll take your rejection. I'll take your sin. I'll take your fear of judgment. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Face first. Listen to this. In Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday in Jesus reveals our fears for what they are and what our fears are, are temporary. Jesus never one time says they'll never come your way. He says, but when they come your way, they're just a comma and not a period. It's not the end of the story because the tomb's empty. And because you take this truth all the way into your heart, when your world begins falling apart, you know that God is with you. See, the claim of Easter is that Jesus is with you in all the stuff that you never wanted to face. And if nobody loves you enough to tell you the truth of that, you will be cosmically disappointed when life gets tough and it seems like Jesus is nowhere to be found. And so Jesus says the problem for so many of us is what do we do with the pain and the fear? The promise is there is a peace that comes down deeper than the pain and the fear. And the path to receiving that peace is to take it all the way in to the heart. So I want to just end very quickly this morning. So how do you get that peace? How do you take it all the way in? Number one is that you search out for yourself the claims of the resurrection. This is for those of you that grew up in church and for those of you that are not Christians. I want you to hear this very clearly. I'll speak to those of you that are in church first. 
Some of you have been Christians or in a Christian family your whole life. And you've never, really, you've never really investigated the claims of the resurrection. You've never really looked at the evidence for yourself. Your whole life, you've literally just kind of existed on the fumes of your parents' faith, or your friends' faith, or your neighbor's faith. And here's the problem with that sort of faith, is that sort of faith will expose itself when real life comes our way. And so how does this peace come into the heart? If you're a Christian, it's, it's really sitting down and going, okay, Lord, help me understand the realness of your bodily resurrection. For those of you that are not Christians, I just want to challenge you, lovingly challenge you this morning, is if there's a guy who lived 2,000 years ago claiming to be God, and he was dead for three days and raised from the dead, if that really happened, you should probably pay attention to it. And I don't say that arrogantly. I'm just saying, if there's a guy claiming to be God and he died and raised, it's worth your investigation. And I believe what you'll find in the midst of your wholehearted investigation is you will find some evidence that is too difficult to ignore. Uh, if you don't even know where to start, I'll give you a non-Christian author that you can look at, a guy named Rodney Stark. Stark. Just look up Rodney Stark. Look at all, all the stuff he's done, the rise of Christianity and the evidence of Jesus Christ. Another guy that you can look at, Dr. Simon Greenleaf that founded the Harvard School of Law. He was an atheist until he began examining the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And one of the ways that the peace comes all the way in is every one of us, whether we're Christian or not, we really begin to wrestle with, okay, if this is more than a spiritual truth, have I taken it deeply into the heart? You search for it. You really search it out. Number two, you soak in the beauty of what you're searching. This is not something that I can do for you. Uh, you, you can't microwave your heart spiritually. You can't uh, prepare faith instantly. You know, for 15 years, I've been wrestling with this, going, okay, God, this, if this is not real, I'm out. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 says, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, all of this religious stuff is just a scam. And I wholeheartedly stand by that belief. And so if some of you find the body in the tomb, come tell me, because I'm going to get a different job. I mean that. But as you search the evidence to soak it in, and as you soak in what it is that you're discovering, I believe what will happen is peace will keep going down and down and down. And then last, you search, you soak. And lastly, you surrender. You surrender to the claims. That as those old fears come calling, man, no longer are you ignoring them, no longer are you controlling them, no longer are you paralyzed by them. You take all of those fears and you say, Jesus, hold my hand in the midst of this. Walk me through this. Would you help me, Lord? Would you help me believe? For those of you that are not Christians, I'm gonna invite you today. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God died for your sins, risen from the dead on the third day, and that he's reigning in heaven right now. Because as you believe, your life will slowly but surely begin to change. Doesn't mean it's easy, but the peace that surpasses all human understanding begins to trade places with the fears that used to dominate us. And to just day in and day out surrender. And so that's what we are, are celebrating this Easter Sunday. 2,000 years ago, historically, God came, God lived, God died, God raised, God ascended, God has poured out his Holy Spirit, and that God is still present. 
And that until all things are put back together when Jesus returns, Jesus is in the process of empowering us and strengthening us and giving us peace to walk through the things that we never could have imagined right here and right now. And that is amazing news. And it's available to every one of us. Let's stand. I want to pray over us together as we get ready to take communion. God, I thank you. I thank you that the tomb is empty. I thank you that, Jesus, you are alive. I thank you that you are here among us. In the name of Christ Jesus, would you strengthen us? Would you empower us with the peace that surpasses all human understanding, Lord, and help us to see and believe how real you are? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.